Hello, everyone. I'm Rania Kalik, and this is Dispatches. The West African countries of Niger, Burkina Faso, and Mali are rebelling against their former colonial masters, while the imperialists of the global north try desperately to contain the coups that are ejecting them. But what's behind the anger, particularly that leveled against the French? Does the anti-colonial sentiment extend beyond France? What's the landscape of the popular movements and organizations in West Africa who are supporting the coup governments? Are there any parallels to past instances of popular anti-colonial upsurge in Africa? Could this spill over into other African countries? Where does Pan-Africanism fit in? Where do Russia and China fit in, if at all? Here to discuss this and more is Kambale Musavuli, an activist, writer, and analyst with the Center for Research on the Congo. But before we jump into it, this is just the first half of this episode. The second half is available for Breakthrough News members only. You can become a member at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. Kambale, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you back on uh, to discuss while well, so much is exploding across the African continent. Um, and, you know, obviously a lot of eyes are focused on West Africa right now because of all the coups and the demands for France to leave and a lot of like anti-imperialist, anti-colonial rhetoric we're hearing from some of these new leaders. So I think the question on many people's minds, even though it seems obvious, though, you know, I think it's worth delving into a bit deeper is, you know, everybody in this region is there's a very popular anti-French sentiment. So, Kambali, can you explain just very briefly what French colonialism meant in West Africa? And then we can maybe get into some of the more like modern day relevant anger that's taking place right now. Yeah. But the, after the Berlin Conference, uh, Belgium had a big piece of land, uh, the DRC, and France received uh, a lot of land on the African continent. Um, where the people uh, in those regions, they lost sovereignty. Uh, they lost control of their land. They lost control of their resources. They lost even control of um, the decision-making process where they choose their leaders. But there was a struggle all across Africa that was led by the movement of uh, young Africans uh, after the Fifth Pan-African Congress in Manchester, uh, where even Kwame Nkrumah took part of that meeting, Du Bois, I uh, was there, Padmore, and, and other Africans uh, from the continent. They saw that at the end of World War II, it did not make any sense that any African countries were still under the colonial uh, yoke. So they mobilized uh, young Africans, and they were successful. By 1960, about a dozen African countries uh, became independent. Ghana in 1957, of course became almost the hub of the mobilization. So from that time on, Africans continued to mobilize, even though African countries had a nominal or, say, political independence, where you, know, you can have elections, uh, you can choose your leaders, or a facade of election, if one could say, they still did not have control of their land and resources. And they didn't even have control of their currency, particularly for Francophone Africa. Uh, France, um, instituted the process whereby the, the, the Francophone uh, African countries use the currency called France CFA, controlled by the F Bank of France, whereby the African countries will put their reserves in the Bank of France, and the Bank of France will determine 
the value of the currency uh, part uh, part to uh, the French currency itself, right? So, for CFA, you know, a currency con- in an African country is controlled by France. So that's one aspect. The second aspect is the presence of uh, foreign military bases, particularly French military bases across Africa or in the Sahel um, for West Africa. Um, many people in the region say it does not make sense. No, we don't have a Burkina Bay base in France. We don't have a Mali base in France and so on. So that these um, bases needed to actually um, not exist and, and, and close down. So that's the second aspect. And the last aspect is the choice of the people. The people have been able, unable, in most parts, to choose leaders who uh, come from the, the aspirations of the people. So many elections have taken place in the West African region, whereby one result I announce, it does not represent the will of the people. So no control of the currency, no control of the land and resources, no uh, imposition of a foreign military basis, and lack of um, choice where people can choose the leader uh, properly is what precipitated the mobilization of people of West Africa, and the expression of the coup d'etat is just the latest form of that expression. And it's to see you know, what will come out of the coups in the future, but it's clear for the people of Africa. They want the sovereignty of their land. They, learn, they want to choose their own leaders, and they want to control their natural resources and not friends. And I mean, those are, that's, that's all really good points. I'm just curious if you can elaborate a bit when you talk about the relationship that you mentioned today between these Francophone Africans and France, mm-hmm. um, can you elaborate a bit on what you mentioned? I mean, you mentioned military bases, right? You mentioned the uh, currency. Um, I, I just want to, I want people to really understand the anger towards France. Um, so I guess, can you go a bit deeper into, into that, into like what is really sparking the, the anger right now was it one specific thing is it all those things together and is it just that is it just the issue with the currency is it just the uh issue with the um with the military bases or does it go beyond that the relationship with france yeah. i mean france has a specific interest in the sahel region uh, they want control of resources particularly uranium and uh, in terms of natural resource control what they use is the military using a pretext of why they need to be there. So, for I mean, the United States has done that. You know, they went to Iraq saying that they're bringing democracy to Iraqis, uh, that there are weapons of mass destruction. That's not why they went there. The whole world knows that they went there for oil. Um, but in the Sahel, uh, after the toppling um, and the brutal killing of Gaddafi in Libya, uh, many of the forces that the United States brought uh, everyone knows that now, right? That the U.S. actually brought Al-Qaeda to Libya and they brought ISIS to Libya. They armed them, they trained them. I remember during the uh, attack on Libya on the New York Times, there were articles, one article particularly on the front page, it said that the CIA is training ISIS in Libya to tap Gaddafi. Now I'm paraphrasing the title, but that was... Uh, was on the front cover. So we know the U.S. did that. So after the toppling of Gaddafi, the f- forces who were there decided to move into the Sahel. And a lot of weapon pl- proliferation took place 
where all these guns brought and weapons brought has found its way to the Sahel. And all of a sudden, a region that was peaceful, um, a region that's been predominantly Muslim for centuries, never had issues with so-called terrorist attack and so on. But now you hear that so-called jihadists are in the Sahel. And France used that as a pretext to actually be in the, in the Sahel. And with its presence, they built military bases. As they build these military bases, uh, what we see continuously is that the uranium found its way out, yet the people are massacred every day by so-called jihadists. So the instability in the region has increased. And after a few years, if France is in the region, and they say they are, bring, like they are there to bring about peace, and there is no peace, any uh, person who has common sense will say, let's find another solution. That we don't believe that France has the capacity to bring about peace and security in the Sahel region. So that's one aspect of it. And of course, the second aspect has been why in 2023, African countries are using a currency controlled by France. Three, why is it that when we choose our leaders, uh, the elections have to be certified by the outside, right? And there have been infiltration and uh, interference in the political process in, um, in Africa in general. And, um, and last, you know, we, why should we have the uranium from Niger, power electricity in France, where one out of three bulbs in France is powered by the uranium coming out of France, yet less than 18% of Niger uh, people have access to electricity. So all these contradictions have made it already at the base that the ordinary people are clear that we have to have foreign interference, foreign opposition, and foreign control out so that African countries, in this case, uh, Francophone African countries, can choose their leaders, can control their country, and can have a form of sovereignty. And, you know, why do you think these specific countries, meaning, you know, Niger, Mali, Burkina Faso, why were these the first to reject that French exploitation relationship that you just described? Is there a particular reason or is it just, you know, coincidence that it just happened to be in these particular countries? Because obviously there are other Frank, you know, so-called Francophone African countries that France has a very exploitative relationship with. So why these countries? I don't think like Burkina Faso, Niger are the first countries uh, to be um, the ones actually calling for them to uh, be kicked out. Their process of uh, regaining sovereignty is much faster in other countries. But it's in unison all across the region. You go to Senegal, people are saying France dégage. No, France go out. Right? You go to... Um, Burkina Faso, you hear that. I mean, you, when you go across, so you, you look at Senegal and Burkina Faso. In Burkina Faso, we have a military coup. Mm-hmm. In uh, Senegal, we don't have a military coup. But the people of both countries are clearly saying, we do not want French uh, military to be in our country. They've mobilized against the, the French uh, military. They've organized against the um, you know, French control of Senegal. So in Burkina Faso, there have been two coups. 
Um, and these coups emanate for, I don't know, if I may say, the vacuum, the power vacuum that exists and the most organized force in um, Burkina Faso is in the military. And they mm. were able to gain power. The first coup was not a people's coup. Right? Because um, during the first coup, the former president, Blaise Campaore, who assassinated Thomas Sankara, was tried. Right? He was tried. He was found guilty. Of course, he was in exile in Côte d'Ivoire. And after his tri uh, the trial, after finding him guilty with evidence presented in the court, the coup leaders decided to bring back Blaise Compaoré into the country. That angered the population because they mobilized for Blaise Compaoré to be out of the country. And of course, the situation with uh, the increased um, insecurity in the country, about uh, up to last year, about 80% of the country was controlled by jihadists in Burkina Faso. So even uh, the coup leaders at that time were not able to control the, uh, the country. So Ibrahim Traore and his uh, friends or comrades decided with the force that they had to topple the first coup, to bring about a new, um, a new force, right? A new force that will follow the interests of the people. So far as we see, uh, they've taken actions that goes to the aspiration of the people. History will tell us if they, they will be absorbed from history that they took the right path. But what we see concretely right now, that the people of Burkina Faso are in the support of the Ibrahim Traore's uh, regime, and they see that his actions of connecting even with uh, Russian forces to bring about security is actually bringing about uh, results that you have less attacks and you have territories that's being gained. So to go back to that initial question, I think it's all across, but depending on where the progressive forces are in the country, some are able to gain control of state power and others are still uh, mobilizing and organizing the people to transform the country. Um, and of course, you know, based on what you just explained, the demands right now are focused on the French, right? It's, the, it's for France to get out. So France is clearly the main enemy, um, or at least it seems that way, um, which, you know, based on everything you said, that seems so obvious why it would be. But then, you know, we are hearing a lot of anti-imperialist rhetoric, anti-colonial rhetoric. So, you know, why aren't they, for example, asking for the U.S. drone base in Niger to get out? You know, why, why just focus on France or have there been calls beyond just uh, telling France to get out? In Ouagadougou, uh, the Organisation des Jeunes Démocratiques, ODG, has called for foreign military bases to be out of the region. Uh, so they are clear about the foreign military base, but the face of the, for, uh, the foreign uh, presence is France. Um, has there been called for the U.S. military, a uh, drone military base to be out? I have not seen that uh, yet. I think that the people have been mobilized around France, uh, that it's easier to mobilize them around that. The second thing that people may now realize is that even when the U.S. does operations in the Sahel, they don't use the U.S. flag. Um, I've seen that with my own eyes. You know, I was at the airport in Ouagadougou, and I saw a C-37 plane. A C-37 plane is a U.S. cargo, a military uh, cargo plane. Did not have any sign, any symbol of U.S. Uh, logo there. 
So sometimes it's very hard to actually determine if this is the French or this is the Americans. So uh, they've done very well uh, to not show their presence um, as much. It's just lately, uh, for example, when you had uh, the coup in Guinea, um, that's so many people question the coup in Guinea. Uh, the coup in Guinea, you saw U.S. soldiers driving into town. So people see them. They are sometimes unclear, uh, but people who are progressive forces who are organizing and mobilizing always say we must have foreign military bases out of the region. Uh, you have the French, you have Japan, you have Qatar, um, you also have the Americans uh, in the region. So there are calls for them to be out, depending on the mobilizing forces. They use an element that people can understand much easily. Well, and then also, you know, in Western media, these coups have been portrayed as being driven and sustained purely by military leaders, right? And any sentiment on the ground that is supportive of the coups is just like some puppet of the militaries. But, you know, if if we take a closer look, there does appear to be not only popular support on the ground, but also the involvement of mass movements and, Mm -hmm. you know, these broad, diverse coalition efforts in support of these uh, coups, which makes it, I think, a bit, you know, unique and really different from that sort of classical, typical coup uh, that we're used to seeing. So, you know, my question from there is, Kambale, what is the landscape of the popular movements and organizations involved in supporting these coups? And I guess maybe we could start with Niger. You know, what's, for example, the importance of, a, of groups like M62, which just to throw this in there, The Guardian referred to M62 as a, quote, pro-Russia movement which I thought was very funny because like what a way to just completely strip something of anything it's actually doing by just calling it a pro-Russia movement. But anyways, let's start there. What is the importance of groups like M62 in Niger and anything else you might want to mention about yeah. the people involved in Niger? Yeah. Well, f- let's start from the coup, right? We are discussing military coups and there have been more coups than militaries, right? There have been constitutional coups. Military coups only happen, at least from what I've observed in, the, in uh, West Africa, is military coups are happening after constitutional coups. What do I mean by that? There have been elections in these countries. There have been rigged elections, right? Where they presented these leaders as w- having won the elections. Everyone have seen it. You see statements from Western nations, depending on the ties to the country, where they will say, uh, we are concerned about uh, the credibility of the results. And then they'll say, we support the government. No? So they continue working with a president that's illegitimate. Those constitutional coups are not discussed at all. And those constitutional coups open the space for a military coup or any other form of coup where there is a popular uprising. And that's what happened in Mali. The first coup took place when progressive forces in Mali called for a general strike. The whole country was shut down a few months after the elections. When that took place, the military took control of the state. And what did I say? They took control because of what the people on the, in the streets did. Right? So the people, the progressive forces have been organizing beyond constitutional and military coups. Specifically for Niger, 
it's quite baffling that they are discussing that M62 is Russian uh, control or Russian tie. Uh, whenever they say that, they, they are actually saying that Africans are people who cannot choose for themselves, who have no capacity to understand what is happening in front of them. When your population is living with less than a dollar a day, that your population is massacred every day, that you see on a daily basis, right? You see a drone base, no, a U.S. military drone base. You see jihadists. And you see that since they've arrived, insecurity has increased. Of course you're going to mobilize. You're going to mobilize against Bazoum, who was not democratically elected. He was imposed on the people. They, I mean, everyone observed how the sideline political leaders during the elections, some of them ended up in exile, right? And the, uh, the former president placed literally his foreign, uh, his minister, you know, Bazoum, as the candidate and did everything in his power for the institution of the state to declare him as the president. So the illegitimacy of Bazoum, which is a constitutional coup, is not discussed. But what is discussed is the will of the people to say, we are not going to follow these undemocratic institutions and choose for ourselves our future. Uh, what will the future of people in Niger be? So, of course, no, the Western powers can say whatever they want in the M62. M62 can have their own internal contradictions in the country. Uh, but what is very clear for me, be it in Niger, in Mali and Burkina Faso, the people of that region, the people of these countries are very clear that they do not want President Bazoum backed, financed, and supported by France to be their leader. Why do I say so? Beyond M62, over 30,000 people took it to the streets to share the support to what is happening in the country. So very clearly, we know that the people of Niger, if they were Bazoum supporters, they would have been in the street saying, we don't want anything to do with the coup. We don't want anything to do with M62. Mm -hmm. And then what can you tell us about these uh, broad, you know, anti-imperialist groups like the coordination of civil society organizations in Burkina Faso, and then we have standing on the ramparts in Mali. What about groups like that? Those groups are face of a stronger movement underground, right? For the past decade, in the Sahel region, communists and progressive forces have mobilized in the civil society because it's been a means of mobilizing and other organizations to educate people around imperialism. It's not by accident that young people at the age of four know that France is an enemy. Right, And when I'm saying France, we're talking about the French government, the French president, its military, and its exploitation on the African continent. Right? Why do I say that? A few, I think it was a year or so ago, if I'm not mistaken, it was in, I think it was in Burkina. I th no, I th either in Burkina or Mali, when, mm. when the troops were being kicked out and there was a drone Right, this was probably a camera drone flown over the people. Right, and the young man took a rock 
and threw the rock at the drone and it fell. And if you watch the video of the celebration mm-hmm. of that young man bringing down the camera drone, you clearly know that this young man knew that that drone has nothing to do with his country. Right? That this is a foreign element filming our mobilization and that I have to shut that down. So whenever we're speaking even about M62 or any other NGO or uh, civil society organizations and so on, we should know that in the Sahel region, there is a community of progressive forces who have worked not just in Mali, not just in Burkina Faso, not just in Niger, all across the region. And I always quote that for the past decade, there have been an anti-imperialist day every year in Burkina Faso. Mm. And when you go to the anti-imperialist day, you see organizations from Mauritania, organizations from Ghana, organizations from Nigeria, organizations from Côte d'Ivoire, many of them coming by bus. Right? Buses all across the region, all pointing to Ouagadougou. And when they arrive in Ouagadougou, they discuss French currency, they discuss French military bases, and foreign military bases, and the need for Africans to be sovereign. Because the Sahel region right, is being ruled politically by a body called ECOWAS. And ECOWAS as a body, the the regional body, has not been at the side of the people. This is what has caused the people of the region to mobilize on the ground to say, we have to have an alternative. Connecting the vision to what Kwame Nkrumah actually said initially. Kwame Nkrumah, when he was thinking about the United States of Africa, he did think of a political organ, which today we call the United uh, uh, the African Union, but he also insisted that it needed to be an all-African people's revolutionary movement. And the people's movement has to be connected to the masses. And the people of Africa have connected themselves together, right? From, uh, all, from Mauritania all the way uh, to Guinea in coming together against imperialism that's appearing in their region in the form of currency, form of military bases, uh, form of um, extraction of the natural resources and imposition of the leaders. Yes, there are organizations, but you always have to remember that the progressive forces who may not want to be named um, mm-hmm. are working on the ground, um, villages from villages, cities to cities, to educate the masses about imperialism in West Africa. And Kambali, what about the involvement of socialist and communist organizations? That was the same. <laughs> I'm, um, the reason I'm being uh, careful about mentioning the name, because they become mm-hmm. a target. Yeah. Right? They have mobilized. There are, in other countries, um, if it's not Francophone Africa, it's much easier for them to mobilize. Mm-hmm. Right? So, for example, when we think about mobilization uh, in Ghana or Nigeria or Gambia, we can name organizations. But in Francophone Africa, when you have French military bases, they will not appear uh, as the organization itself, right? They will beg cadres and the militants. We work through the organization that already exists. Uh, because the French are brutal, 
They are very brutal, right? I mean, think about beyond the brutality, but let's think about the arrogance of France when the head of state of uh, Burkina Faso asks the French that they have 30 days, not a day, right? Not 24 hours, not one week, but 30 days. It's a long time. You have 30 days to leave the country. And the president of France, Macron, is asking, what do they mean by that? <laughs> right? You have to literally take the minister of foreign affairs, I think, to respond. I said that we just mean what we say. You have 30 days to take your troops and close your embassy. We do not need your presence in our country. So whenever you are in a sensitive uh, situation, what I've continued to insist uh, when I speak about the region is do not be um, shocked to know that progressive organizations have for not one year, not for five years, for over a decade mobilized from Mauritania all the way to Guinea people to understand imperialism is disappearing in the country mm -hmm. and calling, right? Calling for the unity that's needed for us to be able to overcome it. So when you see the unity between Mali, Burkina Faso and Niger, this is a call from the base, not from the leaders, from mm -hmm. the base that African people have to come together and face it. And I'm very pleased to see that Algeria is providing the support and Mauritania is joining and saying, we dare you to enter Niger. We will be together as Africans to protect our African nation. Um, and then, of course, there's. I'm just curious. Also, is there involvement of trade unions um, yes, yes, yes. as well in any of these places? Um, just to give the agency on the ground that it deserves, like the attention it deserves, because you know, unfortunately, yeah. so far I've seen a very entitled and arrogant Western attitude. I'm not talking about anybody specific, just generally speaking in the mainstream or even those who like otherwise might be like, what about the agency? Suddenly with this, it's no, 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 like who's are bad and you're not supposed to support that and we have to support democracy without looking at the fact that they're like you're mentioning there is there has been a lot of work being done on the ground to educate mm -hmm. and push towards a more progressive direction. Yeah. Um, and then I, I guess I'm the, all, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, but for the trade union, uh, the call for the general strike in Mali, uh, when the first coup took place, came from the unions. Mm -hmm. right? There is a network of uh, trade union congress in West Africa who, whenever the trade union congress in Benin calls for a strike, there is a solidarity strike across the region, in particular for the CGT network, right? The CGT, there is CGT Bay and for Benin, um, and you have it in Cote d'Ivoire and so on. And all these um, un uh, trade union congresses have worked together in the cause. When you look at the coups, actually, right, and that's something very important for people to know, how many unions in the subregion, right, in the West Africa subregion, have come out in saying they don't want military intervention in Niger? Very clear messages, right? Mm -hmm. You have unions in Ghana, they have come out and say so. You have unions in Benin, they have come out and say the same thing. Also, even in Niger, in the country, they say that we, the people of West Africa, we do not want foreign military intervention to stop uh, the leaders of uh, the, the, the junta in, in uh, Niger. So if the people of the regions 
right? Beside those who are on the streets. We're not in support. But will the trade unions uh, support the coup? Right? That, that's what one people, uh, people should analyze and say, well, in West Africa, unions are putting out a statement saying, we, we are in support of the will of the people of uh, Niger, and we do not want the intervention of ECOWAS forces there. Right. That, I mean, can you imagine a U.S. trade union saying that we are supporting a coup, right? We are supporting this, right? So that, that just gives you a sense of where the people are. They know that these coups are part of a process of the people of Niger, of the people of these countries that, uh, that have coups, whereby at this present moment, it's being expressed in a military coup and that they want the people of those countries to determine their affairs and not in outside interference. It's their process to lead. Let them lead the process and the gains, they will see it. And if it's not successful, the people will still mobilize for it to have the aspirations rather than have a foreign intervention and foreign interference. That's a really good point. And then I guess like from there, I, I, I wanted to ask you as well. I mean, I think what you're describing here is the fact that these these new governments, these coup governments have legitimacy because of what's happening on the ground with all the people that you're talking about. So I'm curious, could you just kind of briefly explain the relationship between these movements and these new governments? <laughs> it's, it's not just the, the, the new government. It's, it's not hard to, to think about it, right? Mm-hmm. They are the people. Yes, okay. They live on a daily basis and they see the suffering of the people. Be it the soldiers or be the people uh, on the ground uh, mobilizing. And they're telling themselves, in 2023, what can we do to transform the conditions of our people? We are living somewhere where they're telling us we have so-called jihadists that the French soldiers cannot stop. If France have been there for a decade that you cannot stop jihadists, I think it's time to go. I think that we should try something else, right? So these soldiers are listening to the frustration of the people. And what we're forgetting, these coups are happening after constitutional coups. Bazoum in Niger did not win the presidential election. Yet, it was recognized by the so-called international community, led in this case by France, as the legitimate president of the country of Niger. So he does not have legitimacy. He's ruling the country. People have continued to mobilize. M62, the opposition group, have continued to organize the people to say we have to do everything in our power to be able to regain control of our country. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear the rest, you can access it by becoming a Breakthrough News member at patreon.com slash breakthrough news.